You are listening to One More Time, and welcome to the final episode of the first season. Thank you to those of you who have been listening throughout this whole year and following Illinois bands through our podcast. We end our first season with an episode titled Age Out. We are going to discuss moving on from a band program, which is something every student experiences at some point, and most band directors move to new jobs during their career. The emotions involved with that decision, whether imposed, like aging out of drum corps or graduation, or self-selected due to a new job or retirement, are always very strong. We closely identify with the programs we are part of. We put a lot of our time and effort into making the band better, to helping the people and our communities, and to building great relationships between the people in the program. Then suddenly, they are gone. We move on. In writing the script for this episode, I really thought about what it means for a band director to move on. I left a program that I was uh, the band director of for six years, and I remember how tough it was to tell my students. I planned it out very carefully. I knew the day well in advance. I had told my principals, uh, a couple of my colleagues knew, but I knew telling the students would be the hardest. My plan was to start with the sixth graders because they had known me the least amount of time. I assumed that they would be affected the least. And then I'd move on to 7th grade and 8th grade, and then eventually my high schoolers, who I thought would be the most affected. And I was really wrong about that. My 6th graders were stunned when I told them, and even a few shed a tear. They were really heartbroken, and it really surprised me. And then, as I told every other class, they all had the same reaction. And by the time I got to the high schoolers, I was pretty emotionally wrecked that day. And my high schoolers, when I told them, were upset, but they didn't have an emotional reaction, at least Initially, eventually, over time, as the day came closer and the year was ending and they realized that we would no longer be part of the same family, uh, it got a little bit more emotional. But it was my time to move on. And like all band directors who leave their students to go somewhere else, I still deeply care for all of those students, and I still enjoy getting messages from them as they age and mature. And now for me, this episode of One More Time becomes One Last Time. This episode is my last as executive producer for the podcast. I have moved on from the University of Illinois, and I've started to pursue a doctorate in conducting at Ball State University. Leaving my U of I family was hard. I had spent a lot of time with many of the people in that program. I also knew I would have to leave behind my pride and joy, this podcast. The new executive producer is Dr. Anthony Messina. He is the new assistant director of athletic bands. He will be deftly leading this podcast in future years. Some of the voices, uh, as we head into season two, will be the same. You will still hear Stephen Cohn and Daniel Dresser, and behind the scenes we still have Mary Allison Mahachek. Scott, from the Sousa Archives, will still provide us with insights on every episode. And also behind the scenes we have Zia Fox, who graduated but couldn't stand the thought of leaving Champaign-Urbana, and is starting her master's there this year, and she is doing some of our sound mixing and editing. The only person that I need to give a sincere thanks to, because he graduated and will not be returning, is Sam Litt another one of our sound editors. He did great work, and I know they will miss him in Season 2. Now let's get to the episode with Scott discussing Sousa and fraternity. The band um, needed something to help them as a group kind of stay connected. And um, they formed their first chapter in New York. That was the primary location um, where Sousa operated. And um, also formed chapters in Philadelphia and Los Angeles. 
The membership in the society was limited to the, those who had made at least one tour with the band. Now, originally, the fraternity was set up where only members who played on tours outside of the U.S., but um, they felt that that would be hardly fair since a large bulk of the time the band traveled, they traveled and toured within the United States. So they included all tours with the idea that they would um, capture as many of the individuals as possible. It was a small idea. I mean, there were basically seven founders of this um, group. Um, William Bell, who played tuba with the band between 1921 and 24. Howard Bronson played clarinet between 1923 and 28. Gus Helmicky, the rollicking fun guy in the percussion section, toured with the band 1916, 1917, and then 1919 1931. You had Eugene Labar, who played cornet, um, between 1919 um, 19 and 1920, and then 1931. Then you had William Paulson, also percussionist, 1930 to 31. Shirley Thompson, who played bassoon between 1921 and 1924, and Francis Sutherland, cornetist, between 1916 and was established as a last man standing operation when the last living member who had played on a tour with the Sousa Band had passed, the, the group would cease to exist. We have a, a, a group that was dedicated specifically to unite former members of the Sousa Band in the same spirit of fellowship that existed throughout the band's entire career and to promote a reunion once a year on November 6th to commemorate the birthday in perpetuation of memory of the great American March King, John Philip Sousa. One of the things that the band would often do would perform each year at Sousa's headstone on his birthday, and that event uh, was carried out um, religiously for many years until the musicians were too old to play. Um, the U.S. Marine Band today follows that same tradition. Every November, they play at Sousa's Headstone, and um, the meetings basically continue on until June 29th, 1972. So while the last members die in the late 90s, the last official gathering was in 1972. Stay tuned. We've got more great stories. And if you want to learn more about the, uh, the band, come to the Sousa Archives and check out the, um, the newsletters. They are chock full of great stories. And bring your, your laughter with you because you will be hard to contain. Our two-minute rehearsal technique comes from Bruce Moss. He is the director of bands at Bowling Green State University in Ohio, and he is the conductor of the widely acclaimed Wheaton Municipal Band.
he will be discussing modeling. We all talk about trying to show it with our gestures first. If you can show it with the gestures without stopping and without taking time to move into other rehearsal techniques, it's best. And there's a lot of truth to that. But when you do stop, most effective rehearsal technique is modeling. This is why it's important to have a studio teacher who models a good sound for you. And for the uh, conductor, the rehearsal technique of modeling is the quickest way to get a result if you have to stop. Modeling can be singing. Modeling can be... Modeling can be... Emphasize that like that. Modeling can be sizzling. A story in this. About 10 years ago, I was doing a lecture, and I had found a film of Schulte rehearsing. And he was doing a Berlioz piece. And I, I did a script. Everything he did when he stopped, and it was almost the same every time. He would stop, he would address a section, sing or say or mimic the way he wanted it exactly, whether it was rhythmic, whether it was stylistic, whether it was volume. He would mimic it, I call that modeling, and he would do it again, and then he would address if it had, if it had gotten better. It was almost the same every time and I wrote out all of this and gave it to a grad class of mine recently and didn't tell him it was Schulte and every time he modeled he was able to convey what he wanted. Now this is assuming that the arm gestures aren't all working. With Chicago Symphony 90% of the time that's going to work but for us for those that are not conducting the Chicago Symphony. I've always thought that modeling is the best teacher. Our story today comes from two viewpoints. The first is from Anthony Hish, a former member of the Marching Illini. He aged out from the Cavaliers last year. And our producer, Mary Allison, asked him about that experience. I think probably my favorite part about band in general is just like the community that's involved in it. Mm -hmm. Um, You just like get to be around so many people that are really passionate about the same things, which is super cool. Um, so, I mean, band is so special because you get to really influence people um, through through the way we perform and the way we interact with each other. Um, not only are you influencing the people that you're around, like in the band, but you also get to influence the people that you're going to perform for or the people that, you know, go and see you or see, like, a poster, and they're like, oh, it's, you know, something that's really cool. Um, you're like a huge source of inspiration for people no matter where you go whether it's like a competitive thing like drum corps like you're inspiring kids that like want to be better at music you're inspiring them to like go and you know do a drum corps later on in their life or something like that or find like some higher level of performing that they get to do Um, or for like marching Illini example you know what we get to do is we get to be you know, Barry says this all the time, we need to be like ambassadors for the campus, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, we are like a large part of the culture on campus yeah. and a large part of what like gets people going and gets people like to go to games or to just be excited about being on campus, which is really cool. So you're done with band. So what's like the most difficult aspects or aspect of being done with uh, I guess the hardest part initially was, and honestly, I didn't even feel like I was done with band. Like, after it was all over. I mean, it's like with Marching Illini, like, yeah, that season ended, and, and, like, the drum corps season ended. 
but like since I was still like drumming and like we still have performances and stuff even outside of uh, the fall semester is like okay like we're still going but then once we got to like audition season and I see like videos of like, Cavaliers drumline like playing their new show music for next year I see it on Twitter I'm like that's awesome I can't be there though like yeah. it's kind of weird so the biggest thing at first was just like figuring out how to fill that void mm-hmm. um, because like right now if, if this was me like two or three years ago I'd be getting ready to go and like learn a new show for Cavaliers or you know uh, writing new music for the Illini drum line or like learning new warm-ups and figuring out how we're gonna change things for the next year mm-hmm. but now it's like there's that's not there anymore you know that's that's for someone else to worry about now. So uh, the, the hardest thing at first is just, like, filling the void and, like, just figuring out, okay, like, what else am I going to do with my time now? Mm-hmm. Um, I think also a big part of that and something I haven't really gotten to experience yet is that, like, you're not going to be around the same people anymore, yeah. um, which is, is kind of tough. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to go home, and, like, you're going to go see them. I'm going to go see them perform next year, and I'm going to be like, man, like, I wish I was there, like, see all my friends and stuff, but... You know, everyone kind of moves on, and, uh, you know, that's, that's going to be a tough part, too. It's just, like, either try, try to stay in touch with everyone and also just try trying to move on and figure out what the next step is, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your favorite DCI moment? Yeah, I don't know. I think, I think probably, like, the, the best moment I've ever had in, like, a, a drum corps situation no, no, I'd say it was probably finals this past summer. Okay. Um, it was just like the culmination of everything coming together, like three years and like all this practicing I put in. Like I, I definitely remember like the first minute or so, but then after that, like it just, it was a blur. And I got to the end of it and I was like, oh my God, like this is, that was incredible. You know, it was like the most amazing thing. And, um, I don't know, and that was super cool because it was just like, you know, all the hard work that we put in all summer for, for all those guys. It's not to say, like, any other summer we didn't put in a bunch of hard work, mm-hmm. but it felt like we really realized our our potential this past summer. I, I don't know, like, I remember, like, the last time we sang the chorus song as, like, a group mm-hmm. for, like, my last time. Yeah. I was, like, sobbing. I was, like, I, I, was, I was breaking down. It was crazy because I was, like, this is it. Like, I'm never going to be able to do this with these guys ever again, you know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's super cool, but it's also, like... Oh, it was bittersweet. Like, I wish I could almost go back and do it more, but at the same time, it's like I got to move on and I got to find something else to do with my life, you know? Illinois Bands has a busy month ahead. On September 21st, the Marching Illini will perform a halftime show titled Great Moments in Cinema at Memorial Stadium as the Illini take on Penn State. The first band concert of the school year is on Sunday, September 23rd. The Illinois Wind Symphony and Illinois Wind Orchestra will give a concert with works by Husa, Mio, and Strauss. This concert is at 3 p.m. On Friday, October 5th, the Heinze Symphonic Band will perform a concert at 7.30 p.m. featuring works by Tekeli, Arnold, and Leonard B. Smith. The weekend of October 12th is a big one for Illinois bands as they celebrate 150 years. On Friday, October 12th, the Wind Symphony, Wind Orchestra, and Marching Illini will present a homecoming concert in Craner to celebrate this momentous occasion. The program will feature Bernstein, Mackey, and Zedeklik, and of course, many other Illini favorites. The next day is the homecoming game during which the Marching Illini will provide a halftime show that is a compilation of highlights of the last 150 years of marching band at Illinois.
All of the concerts are held at the Granite Center for the Performing Arts and can be viewed on the live stream at the Illinois Bands website at bands.illinois.edu. I had the opportunity to talk to a wonderful Texas band director who just retired this year. My name is Fred Allen, and I just retired after 42 years of teaching band in public schools and two universities. And my most recent position, I spent the last 24 years as director of bands at Stephen F. Austin State University. Fred has had a long, fruitful career. Oh, yeah. My my job history is easy because I only had four jobs. I taught for my first job was for three years in a very small farming community in the panhandle of Texas called Dimmit. It was a, a what would be the third level of school in Texas by the configuration now population wise. But back then it was it was a different designation. But at any rate, a small community, about forty five hundred people. I taught three years there. Then I moved to a suburb of Fort Worth in a very aggressive part of the state, a very competitive, and had a junior high, 7th, 8th, and ninth graders uh, in North, North Richland Hills, uh, which is northeast Fort Worth, and that was for eight years. Then I taught at Abilene Christian University for seven years, th- three as associate director and four as head director, and then 24 years at Stephen F. Austin State University. I started by asking Fred how he contemplated retirement. And I agreed. And uh, plus, I always enjoyed going to school. I love teaching. So I wasn't unhappy to continue. Um, but I had the, the idea had been in my head for about four years. Then this spring, I just um, reevaluated everything again. And I thought the program was in very good shape. Uh, it, there's lots of students in it. Uh, we're an education institution turning out lots of teachers. And I, I thought it was a very healthy time in the program to be able to exit. And so, uh, it was a gradual coming to terms with it that really, in my case, took four years. I asked Fred about his feelings leading up to retirement and what he would miss most. And surprisingly, he did not say he would miss the banding the most because he knew he would have plenty of opportunities to do so in retirement. I knew that the hard part for me would be walking away from actually teaching in the classroom because as a university music professor, the band is a tremendous joy, but I got equal joy from teaching the coursework that was assigned to me for in, in our music education degree, uh, especially the graduate students in their conducting lessons. And I also, at our school, I taught scoring and arranging just because I have that background. And I have always liked being a teacher uh, in addition to being a musician, which was, of course, the reason I became a band director. But uh, the teaching part in the classroom classes I knew I was really going to miss that because I wasn't going to have a a direct connection of that. The last concert for a conductor who is retiring is often something very special and meaningful to them in many ways. But many of them do something special with the music or with the pageantry of the concert. But Fred had a bit of a different idea. I didn't really want to do the farewell concert thing. Uh, I wanted to have it be as normal a concert as it's possible to have and to just say, 
you know, that there's no need to attach any different kind of emotion to this concert because this music stands on its own merit without having to emotionalize it in some way or, or you know, uh, attach it to my leaving. And I, I didn't want to do that. I know people that do that, and I think that's great. Uh, it's just not my personality. I just didn't want that. As his final day approached, I asked Fred to remember what it was he was thinking. Well, and that was, I mean, I had left three other jobs and three, and, and in the first one, there were a lot of tears and, uh, you know, I was young and I, I thought, oh my gosh, these students are gonna, you know, they're just not going to be the same without me and my life won't be the same without theirs. And that was when I learned one of life's great lessons. They had banned before I came here and they're going to have banned after I leave here. For the final source material that will appear on One More Time, we have Paceline by Tyler S. Grant. Paceline came about uh, from trombonist John Whitaker. He's on faculty at the University of Alabama, and he was taking a sabbatical this past year and uh, decided he wanted to do an album project and wanted to commission a work that was for advanced trombone but was play- had an accompaniment that was playable by middle school and high school students. And so he approached me about the possibility of doing that and we decided to put a consortium together of bands uh, from around the country uh, as well as Canada to fund the project and so we sat down and we discussed some of John's interests and things that uh, he really liked just to make it a really uh, special thing tied to him and and three of his passions were um, whiskey cigars and bikes and so we knew for a middle school piece that the piece would be about bikes pretty easy uh, way to narrow that down because the piece was for younger students i wanted it to have a have a start that was a little bit more simplified to where everybody could start with a little bit of confidence especially for middle school and high school students this could be the first time they ever played with a soloist and which is a really unique experience i forgot to mention the piece being called pace line a pace line is when a group of road bikers ride together in tandem and so uh, what this is supposed to be is like a musical metaphor of a pace line with the trombonist and all the students in the ensemble. So at the beginning, it, there's this quarter ostinato that takes us through the beginning of, of the piece. Essentially, as the uh, trombonist enters, we, we keep everything fairly simple. Eighth notes and quarter notes, very nothing groundbreaking. The trombone comes on top of that with a little bit more complicated rhythms uh, at first, but it's not so complicated that the students are unable to keep up with what the trombonist is playing. And slowly as the piece progresses and uh, builds up to uh, a climax at 39, the rhythms get even more complex and a little bit more involved. And so it starts out easy, and as we know with most physical activities, it gets harder as it goes. The piece, you know, it starts with these very simple rhythms, and eventually all these rhythms sort of compound upon each other. And, uh, and then just has you know, some, some grooves underneath of it that just really 
is the super glue that holds it all together. Towards the uh, the middle of the piece, it gets a little bit softer just because for most people who are road bikers, road cyclists, they usually will go somewhere and stop for a minute and catch their breath and uh, before making the trip back. And so this is just a second for the students to really breathe a little bit and the trombonist to uh, have a little bit of rest. As it builds up to the end, then all those rhythms those come back and gets even more dense. And by the time we reach the end, everything has compounded upon itself to be really... Um, I know that dense is a bad word, maybe not the most accurate word, but everything just sort of has that resolution at the end where everything we heard before plays all at once together. If you have enjoyed these source material segments, I invite you to join me on my new podcast by the same name. This segment has proved so popular that it has been spun off into an independent podcast. The first season has 26 episodes, and you will hear music for all different levels and abilities of wind bands. I invite you to join me starting on October 3rd. Today's rehearsal peak is the Illinois Wind Symphony, rehearsing La Couleur Fauve by Corel Husa.
wish he had or whatever, even if he doesn't have stuff, it's okay to have your own kind of angry burst into this. Don't worry about it's beautiful. Don't worry about it being too beautiful. It has to have some of that angry burst side to it too. Especially when you do some of the fasting, you can kind of click some of those things and kind of spit them out of us a little more. It's okay. Okay. This ain't Mozart. Okay. Where's a good place? Two eighty. Please consider following us on iTunes to make sure you don't miss anything if you enjoyed today's show. If you want to stay current with Illinois bands between episodes, follow us on Facebook or join us on Instagram at Illinois underscore bands. Find us on Twitter at Illinois bands. And of course, watch us on Snapchat at Illinois underscore bands. You can always check our website for more information, www.bands.illinois.edu. The executive producer and host of today's show is Sean Smith, and the staff of the podcast include co-host and occasional producer Daniel Dresser, co-host and producer Stephen Cohn, Christian Arkin, and Mary Allison Mahachek, who is also our script supervisor. The mixing of the episode and recording of segments is done by Sam Litt and Zia Fox. Of course, none of this would be possible without the Illinois Band's faculty, Stephen Peterson, director of bands, Linda Morehouse, Senior Associate Director of Bands, Beth Peterson, Associate Director of Bands, and Barry Hauser, Associate Director of Bands and Director of Athletic Bands. Illinois Bands is part of the School of Music at the University of Illinois and the College of Fine and Applied Arts.